I want to say a few words to move us toward uh, groups of five, like we had yesterday, and uh, point us toward a particular kind of conversation. Um, so this, for me, this has been uh, really illuminating, interesting uh, retreat so far, and I've learned many things. One of the things I've learned that I found uh, really heartening is that uh, you know, the working group of us who've been working on this stuff are not the only ones working on this stuff, and that's really great. There's a lot of other people here who have been uh, practicing meditation and have been reflecting on how they're doing their work as lawyers and have really been making some pretty significant, it seems, from what we've heard, uh, inroads into doing it differently in a way that really works better for themselves, for their clients, and, and for everyone. So, in other words, uh, it seems as if we have some sort of a movement going here. We, have, we really have a lot of people who are, who are seeing these things. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's great. That's a, a great source of uh, strength, I think, uh, and a source of confidence. So I just want to acknowledge that and, and say that, that when that becomes the case, uh, all of us who appreciate this work and see for ourselves in our own lives the virtue of it and how strong it's, it, it is for us, I would say have some, should have anyway, it's up to you, but some sense of responsibility about that, uh, to continue the work, not only because it helps you, but also uh, for, for others. And that, in a way, you're an ambassador and a leader for a movement that involves many, many people and can have a tremendous impact. So I hope that everybody uh, s sees that and, and, and goes away from this retreat with that sense of inspiration. It was really funny this morning when, uh, and, and I noticed, it was kind of very noticeable how much we were all laughing when he was rattling off that list of statistics about the unhappiness of lawyers. It was kind of funny. We were all kind of chuckling a lot about how, you know, the rate of substance abuse, ha <laughs> ha, you know. <laughs> Leaving the profession, ha oh, <laughs> you know. And, and, and I thought to myself, uh, of course, we all know those things are really true. But, but you know, he also said that research, that, that book was written in 1999, no doubt, based on research that had been done some years earlier. And what that means is, by the time the research comes out, it, what it means is it's already beginning to change. So those things are still true. It's not that they're suddenly untrue. But there is now a countervailing, many actually countervailing, uh, uh, you know, forces uh, that are changing that. And I think the movement toward uh, meditation in law or contemplative law, or whatever we call this, is part of that. So that's one thing I learned, and, and that I was really encouraged by. The other thing uh, I learned, among many things, is that uh, there are still many problems on a daily basis when you're doing uh, the work of being a lawyer. And the problems can be uh, very serious, very painful, very difficult, and Despite this, there are also a lot of different possible ways of approaching those problems. A lot of ways. Last night in the group that I was in, the, the sort of medium-sized group, uh, someone, uh, one, one woman in the group uh, said she had this great way of dealing with very aggressive 
uh, attorneys, you know, on this question of confrontational situation, situations. And it was really brilliant. She, she said, um, so usually it's, it's a, so she's a woman, and, and she's, there, there, were, there are certain advantages, she said, to being a woman uh, lawyer. When a very, uh, you know, blustery, kind of aggressive male lawyer type uh, starts getting um, aggressive to her, she says, oh, my goodness, you must have had a very hard day. What can I, is there something that I can do to kind of calm you down and make you feel better? You had a very hard day today. And she said, that works every time. <laughs> to change the situation and, and take away, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, trajectory of that encounter. And I thought to myself, you know, what a brilliant, and you could see in the way that she said this, that she, she really would know how to do that, you know. She, you could see that. Uh, but then I thought, but you know what? If it were me, oh, that might not work for me to do that, you know? And it might not work for somebody else. And it might not work for somebody else. The point is that what works for one person in a given situation actually doesn't work for somebody else. Maybe there's another person who could do that, but not everybody could do that. So the question for each one of us is not how come I can't do what she does, but how, how can I do what I can do? And what is it that I can do to change the situation or make it better for myself? And then, as we learned from Richard last night, the question is even more complicated than that because the question is an ever-changing one, as Richard pointed out. You know, something that we can't do now, two years from now, maybe we can do it. Or the reverse. So in other words, what works for us now and what works for us uniquely? And those are the kinds of solutions we need, not sort of generic solutions. And we're all in different, doing different kinds of law in different kinds of situations. So the problems are difficult and the solutions are unique and require a certain kind of creativity and self-reflectiveness and courage and the ability not to be stuck in the same loop this is impossible, this is impossible, this is the only way, this is the only way, this is the only way. There are possibilities, and, 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 they're, and they're various. I want uh, to, to, to get us toward close, a little, little bit closer toward the conversation, I want to uh, quote two things that we heard from James's uh, really energizing talk this morning. I, I had a great time in that talk, and I, and I know you did too. He was quoting the Buddha, who said, Whatever the practitioner frequently ponders and reflects upon, whatever you frequently ponder and reflect upon, that will be the inclination of your mind. This was fairly close to what the quote was. And, and I think that this is very powerful thought. And I think we know that this is true. And it's obvious, you know, you keep going in a certain direction with a certain train of thought, and that's the train of thought that will appear to you later on. So, as he was, James was telling us this morning, if you think about that and make it your business to in intentionally emphasize or reflect upon things that you want to cultivate, then you're going to make it more likely that those things will appear in your mind. And this is has to do with what Charlie mentioned in the very beginning, the meditative perspective, a perspective that one is trying to cultivate to change the possibilities that are open to us down the road. In other words, 
we take responsibility for our own mind and our own thoughts, and we work at it. The second thing that he said, uh, he said, happiness isn't in conditions. It's in the way you see and react to conditions. That's more or less, I think, what he said. Uh, so this is not to say that you know, we shouldn't work hard to change conditions. But in terms of what makes us happy and what makes a satisfying life, it's not just in the conditions. It's in the way we react to those conditions that appear. And again, that's an area for personal responsibility, for cultivation, and for some work. And we are all smart people and capable of doing, of doing this work if we understand the necessity for it and, and how to do it. So that gets us around to what I would like us to talk about uh, this afternoon. Yesterday, we spent uh, a great deal of time sort of developing and fleshing out our problems, particularly around this relationship of confrontational situations. How do we feel about confrontational situations when we find ourselves in them? What strategies do we use to cope? And what's the cost of that? That was what we talked about yesterday. So today I want us to take the next step to begin to think about new ways of coping with those kinds of situations, of, of deepening the ways we already have of coping with those situations if we feel we have some good ways. We can, we can deepen them, we can make them stronger. Or if we don't have any ways, trying to consider from what we've been hearing in this retreat and what we've been reflecting on in this retreat, what, what are some ways that we could be coping with these situations? Uh, again, in his talk this morning, James took us through two, I think, really key reflections. One, one is to imagine what it would feel like, what it would look like if we were doing what we do in the ideal way that we'd like to be doing it. What would that be like? And the other reflection was, uh, what, what, how does it feel like and what do we do when we find ourselves off of our integrity, off of what we feel comfortable and right about, which happens. So, all of this in mind, pretend, and this is the topic, pretend, you know, I have a few friends who are coaches. Do you know about coaches? Probably everybody knows about this. And, and one, one who's a uh, trainer of coaches. So, pretend you're a coach, and, and your client is yourself. You're your own coach, so you know the client pretty well. You know her tendencies, her strengths, her weaknesses pretty well. So given who you are now, given what you see as the ideal way that you would want to be as an attorney, based on what you've heard and learned so far in this retreat and before this retreat and in your ongoing reflections, what practices, what cultivations, what attitudes, what details even, concrete things, could you apply that might serve you as a pathway for you to proceed? Whether you are already on this path and doing it well and happy with it, how can you go deeper? And if this is something new to you and 
just let yourself think out loud about ways you could put into practice and make use of some of these things. So that's what I would like us to talk about today in our groups of five, six minutes each, just like yesterday. So uh, let's get into the groups first, and then when we're all situated, uh, I'll repeat the question, and I'll go over the ground rules again. So uh, does everybody remember where and who, what group you're in? The number ones were here by the window. The number twos by the second window. The number threes by the third window. The number fours were by the uh, altar there. Number fives by the door. The sixes by this door. The sevens by this door over here. And the eights were here by the altar. And uh, the other six groups were toward the center of the room. So go to your spot. And uh, there should be five people in every group. And we have one new person in a group. Hi. No, no, the law students will just be in the group they were in yesterday. That'll be tonight. So when everybody's uh, settled, I, I will repeat the, uh, the ground rules. Okay, is everybody where you need to be? So, so today, uh, I think since we had introduced ourselves, is there a group of four anywhere in the room? There's a group of four over there, Doug, by the group of four over there. There's one group of four over there by the window. Okay. So every, So since we uh, introduced ourselves to one another yesterday, we don't have to do that again, but maybe everybody can remember before you speak to say your name again. So each person can begin. Yes. You have three. You have three. Uh, so the group that I, I was in yesterday must have four there, right? We're missing one. Yeah, that's besides me. So most people must have disappeared somehow, it would seem. You didn't do it. Okay. So we have a group of... Three and a group of three over there. So, and there's a group of four. Okay. So, well, three and three makes six, <laughs> right? And and one in there, and then you have three. 
Okay, so uh, if one person will, so let's take one of those groups of threes and, and break them up, and please one person come over here, and two go over and join them, okay? So uh, w the group that I was in yesterday, please disband. <laughs> and, and, one of you, and one of you join uh, the group with James, and the other two join over here. Uh, where Edith's got her hand up. And then everybody will be in a group of five. Yes, well, I'll talk to myself. <laughs> or, or maybe I'll just, just, just sit in with, with another group. Okay, so uh, everybody's in place. And uh, I'll remind you of the, of the ground rules. First of all, uh, be personal. Speak from the heart, speak from your experience, speak honestly and truly, because we have already agreed to be absolutely confidential and generous with one another. So don't forget about that. It'll be, it'll be timed. We'll start with uh, a bell that will signal a moment of quiet. There'll be another bell that will signal first speaker can begin, and you'll give your name. And you'll speak to the question. You'll have six full minutes. You won't be interrupted. There won't be, you know, lots of reactivity and head wagging and so and, or tongue clicking. You know, when you speak, they'll just be listening, and everybody will be paying attention uh, to present moment of body and breathing and to your speech, really deeply, deeply taking in what you're saying, and hopefully that will be a, a really good experience for you as speaker and for everyone else as listener. And, and again, as I said yesterday, this in itself, just to do this, is a training and a practice. What would it be like to do this with every client who comes in your, to your office? What would it be like if you listened to every client in this way? So that's how we'll speak and how we'll listen. And if, the, if, you, if you run out of things to say and the time is up, uh, you'll, nobody else will speak. We'll just wait in case you might have something to add before the six minutes is up. Because there's so many of us, like yesterday, we'll kind of speak huddled together and kind of murmuring so that we don't make a big loud noise. Uh, and when the bell rings, it means the first speaker's finished and the next person, all the way up to five people, and then we'll have about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes for um, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, do we, do, is this specifically on confrontational situations? I think we can broaden it. Uh, so I'll repeat the, I'll repeat the question such, such as it is. And as I said yesterday, remember, this is not, uh, what do they call those exams you take, the LSAT exams? You know? This is not like that. If, if you have something that you really need to say that isn't this question, but is really important to you right now, that's what you talk about. You don't need to worry about, let's see now, did I hit all the points that are supposed to be hit in the question? This, the point here is so that you have a chance to talk about what's really important to you that's helpful to you. That's, that's the point. And the question is to elicit that. And if, something, if the question doesn't do that, then speak about what's important. So here, here's the, the question. And it is not, as Jonathan uh, points out, it's not limited only to confrontational situations. But, but be a coach for yourself. 
given who you are now and what your goals are for how you want to be as a lawyer, and based on what you've learned so far in this retreat, maybe something you've heard or thought about in this retreat, or, or things you've developed before the retreat, what practices or cultivations or attitudes or ways of thinking and being can you apply that might serve you as a path forward from here on? So take that any way that you would like to take it. Yes, Charlie? Once more. Once more. <laughs> okay. It's a little complicated. Many words in this question. So you're a coach for yourself. Given who you are now and what your goals are for how you want to be and function as a lawyer, based on what you've learned so far in this retreat or in your practice before, what practices or attitudes or ways of working or being can you cultivate and apply in your life that might serve you as a way, a path forward for you from here on? So whatever comes into your mind, into your heart in relation to that, that's what you'll talk about. So we'll begin with a bell for silence. When I was in law school, I was a backbencher. I don't know if they still have that. Um, but the idea of actually being you know, visible in a classroom was the last thing in the world um, that I wanted because it was a fear-based environment, and I was scared. Uh, and hopefully this is just the opposite. Um, but here we are, you know, it's a lot of people, it's as many people as we're often in our law school classrooms, and mostly lawyers, all people have been to law school. So what I'd like to do is to suggest for those of you um, who are like me, backbenchers, for whom the idea, the idea of actually speaking up in a law school classroom was the last thing in the world I was, would have been willing to do. And I imagine for some of you, just speaking in a large group, it just feels intimidating, even as friendly and open a group as this. But I invite you, those of you who are reluctant to speak and those who haven't had a chance to speak yet in the large group, um, to think of it as a practice here, um, to just uh, participate in this large group. This is not meant to uh, muzzle those of you for whom it's easy to speak in a large group, but I'd like to particularly invite those that, that um, are somewhat reluctant to do it, thinking of it as a chance to kind of stretch yourself a little bit. So uh, the goal here now is just to continue the conversations that you um, started up in little smaller groups. <laughs> oh, that worked. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Bernard. I'm a third year at CUNY School of Law in New York. Um, I guess I just kind of wanted to let everyone know, well, thank everyone for inviting um, Jeff and I. We're both visiting from New York here to your sacred space. We enjoyed being here with you, sharing our stories, hearing about your stories, and 
Um, I guess just let everyone know that there is a tiny group of lawyers, teachers, administrators, alumni, staff that meet throughout the week to do yoga. We meet once a week to do meditation. And we always set time aside to just send positive energy um, to all those other yogis out there um, who are doing transformational justice work, who are out there putting, um, just putting themselves out on the line and, and trying to do good work to help others. And we, I guess we just wanted to let you know that it's not going unnoticed or undone because uh, you have your counterpart in New York um, kind of helping you through all that. So thank you. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm a second year student at the New College in San Francisco. I kind of want to take a poll, if you, if you would help me um, by raising your hand. I, I want to ask you to choose one of three categories. This is for the lawyers, not the law students. Um, the first category is for people that are like thoroughly satisfied and glad that they decided to be lawyers and wholeheartedly would be happy if their kids were lawyers and would do it again if they were born again or something. And the second category would be more, you know, okay, I'm a lawyer. There's some good things about it. It's also really, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks. Someone who feels kind of balanced about it. And then the third category would be people who are just like, wow, I made a really bad career decision here. And now, you know, I'm really hating this. And I would never want my kids to do the same thing. So by a show of hands, who is in the first group that wholeheartedly is glad they're a lawyer? Okay, and who's in the second group that feels kind of balanced? And who's in the third group? Who would admit they were in the third group? <laughs> wow. <laughs> cool, thank you. Thanks a lot. Do you want to make a statement about yourself? Well, I'm obviously <laughs> questioning it. You know, I... Um, uh, some personal things have come up where, where I feel like I... In order to continue my law school career, I need to make a pretty big sacrifice, and I wanted, I kind of got the impression yesterday when people were talking that everyone here was like more in the third group, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that was, you know, just a reflection of where, where my confusion was yesterday, and and so it's good to, you know, get this clarity, and I, I feel better about it. It gives me more information to make the choice that I have to make. Yeah. Do you want to say anything more about the choice? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying no. Uh -huh. <laughs> Mike? I just want to say, after yesterday, I think the, the ability of lawyers to take any, any point of view was evidenced because uh, when you ask us, what we don't like about conflict, every lawyer is going to be able to tell you what they don't like. Just and then, as you said last night, you know, and then you ask us, what do we like about it? Can we fix it? Yeah. And it's always yes and yes and no and no and yes and no. And I mean, that's, that's being lawyers, I think. So maybe, maybe what you heard was just us taking a position, which we're <laughs> genetically incapable of not doing.
Um, I've been thinking about something here, and I would love some feedback. I know I'm supposed to be compassionate, and that makes for a better world. But when I sue somebody, I inflict pain on them. And how do I reconcile that? I mean, just that's built into the practice here. I know I don't want to dump additional pain, you know, stupid interrogatories or something. But I'm causing suffering out there. And where is that? In order for my guy to win or come out ahead, somebody else has to, has to suffer. Is folks flounder with that at all? Can you just say a little bit more about the impact that has on you? I don't like it. I mean, if, this sounds terrible, if the person I've, the defendant is truly, quote, a bad person, end of quote, I don't feel, I feel like it's their karma. You know, if you're a really bad slumlord, you've got it coming. But a lot of these folks aren't really bad people. I mean, I do landlord-tenant. I'm a legal aid lawyer. My client can't pay the rent. My client's disabled. I can string it out three, six months if I'm lucky. The landlord isn't a bad person, but I'm, I'm, I'm inflicting pain on them. And that's where I get stuck. And then what's that like for you to know that you're doing it? I don't enjoy it. I get conflicted. Mm-hmm. I think the input, instead of, you know, one of the things we're all so good at is giving people advice. Um, And what I hope is this doesn't turn into an advice thing. But for just people to just share your own experience and what works for you so that, um, I forget your name again? Mike. Mike. So Mike can have the benefit of kind of measuring. I also wanted some feedback on this because I'm also a legal aid lawyer and I also do landlord-tenant and... I actually like some of the landlords. I'm actually... (laughs) I'll come out. Some of my friends are landlords. (laughs) I've been a landlord. Oh, God. (laughs) And so I... And the the more you do this, I think the longer you do this, these are okay people doing bad things. So, So how... And then in order to fight that, sometimes my client is, turns out to be fairly not a nice person. And I'm, I'm, I'm pinned at five, being, being Pat the bitch lawyer, really advocating for my client. And this is just some poor schmo who inherited this building and is trying to do the best he can. So I'd like also some other people to, to talk about how they balance sometimes being on the, quote, wrong side against a, a decent person who is, who's probably doing some bad things. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you just say a little bit about, do you try to work with this in your own meditation practice? Or do you have a... Yes. I, well, I do that, but before I started meditating, I was looking for good things in the bad people. And some of the people who we all think are the bad... I was, I was talking to a friend of mine today that... There's one landlord who I thought was just the most evil, awful person in the world. He is a Persian Orthodox Jew who is gay, and his family has just tossed him out. And we're not bosom companions, but we, we are getting to be you know, friends. And there are a lot of other plaintiff's attorneys who have taken in their, they were raising their grandchild because their druggy daughter is not on the scene, or so-and-so volunteers at the clinic once a month. And you don't see that just when you're doing the case. But if you open up more and you talk to them more, then you find out that they're just as scared and just as aggressive and just as not liking it as you are. And they are actually doing some wonderful things in their spare time. 
And so in your practice, you've opened up more to yeah. see who these people yeah. are, and it sounds like that's actually made things a little harder. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, it is. So it would be helpful to get some thoughts from people about how when they start to open up, yeah. especially with their, as Mike talks about, his own sense of mm-hmm. compassion for the other side, how you work with that in some way that feels like you're true to yourself and also doing your job. Yeah. I, I think it goes back, my name is Steve, I think it goes back to what James talked about this morning as the first thing. It's your intention. If your intention is out there to harm, you will harm. But if your intention... You're talking about yourself? Yes. Yeah. And okay. I think that that's... But that's... that's the, the teaching is very strong that way. And I think that that's what I try to... Const, not, I try to look to, perhaps. What's my intention? And it, again, if my intention is to cause harm, I will cause harm. And if my intention is to try to open up and make the truth visible because that's what the, our job is, then that's, that's, our, that's our job. Um, you know, I just also reminded by Thich Nhat Hanh's great poem, um, and now I've forgotten the name of it, but call me by my name, or call me by my true name, or I apologize if I've botched it up. <laughs> but we are the landlord. We are also the person that's on death row. We're also the victim. We're also the prosecutor and the public defender. And unfortunately, as lawyers, we play all of those roles in different parts of our lives. And you find that helpful for you to be able to take that in in that way? It gives, it, it's, it's, an, it's, it's a way to try to go balance. I don't know that I'm successful in it quite yet, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm trying to constantly think about. Good. Thank you. You know, I saw your bug remover machine there, and it uh, reminded me, as an analogy, it, in litigation, you don't necessarily want to kill your adversary, but you'd like to remove the toxin and remove them <laughs> from the area. So it might be something to look at uh, as a, uh, something to meditate about is that particular machine you have. So, um, Edith. Hi, I'm Edith, and... Um I've been in the working group since uh, since it actually formed, and I can tell you that um, the issues that have been raised this in this conversation and that actually have been we've been talking about for the whole retreat are the are some of the issues that have uh, caused me a great deal of angst for many years because they're the very ones that I have wrestled with over and over and over again. And that is, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I be an effective advocate in a litigation system, in an adversarial system, and do it um, uh, compassionately but effectively? Um, and it's, it's that's just the that's the that's the very thing that I that I wrestle with over and over and over again. Um, I. Uh, one of the most inspirational things that I think I've read is um, Mohandas Gandhi's um, autobiography. He was a lawyer, you know, and um, and I have tried to adopt his um, sense of ahimsa, non-harming, and yet he was tremendously effective as a lawyer. Um, 
uh, he brought tremendous energy and uh, you know Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King and that we have some wonderful examples of how to be a really effective advocate and do it in a way that brings our full compassion and passion into what we're doing. And that's the question that I wrestle with over and over and over again. Um, Wrongs happen, um, people are in conflict, and... um, it is. Um, it, I don't think it is a service to step out, step away and say, "Well, I don't want to deal with the conflict because that's I'm drawn into, right into the heart of the conflict. It's like I'm in the middle of the flame, and I have to figure out how to how to manage this. Um, and I don't have a single answer for anybody else except that this is the question that I am so grateful that we're discussing because it's the question that. Um, comes up for me every day. So, Edith, I think you do. I actually have a little more to say. Um. (laughs) Yes, Gary, tell me. Because you have a meditation practice. Yes. And how do you work with your meditation practice with this kind of issue? Tell us, expose to us your inner workings here. Well, I I can tell you, and I I bet, is there anybody here um, who hasn't, during a meditation had some thoughts about work or school. <laughs> I have, you know, I, I continually um, find that my, my thoughts kind of continually go back to something that I'm wrestling with um, at work. Um, but I, um, I do a lot of body scans. Um, I do a lot of paying attention to um, the turmoil that, that happens inside when I think about um, a situation, a particular situation, and I discover that I'm just um, all churned up inside. I know that something is wrong here for me, and I've got to kind of sit with it and settle. And what usually happens is it distills out some essence that I can okay, now I can see what I have to do. I'm activated about this, or I'm, I'm fearful for either myself or, or for my client. I'm, I'm afraid for my client, for this or that. Um, and, uh, and I sit on the cushion a lot um, and kind of wrestle with these issues, and I, and I um, really work with non-harming. Uh, how can I do what I need to do? How can I expose the truth or find the truth or whatever it is that I'm, that I'm doing there? And how can I do it in a way that doesn't spread more harm but it brings up the truth? And I think that I have to, you know, I have to subpoena the records and take the depositions and do the interrogatories or whatever it is that I'm doing. I have to do that. And I have to do it with passion and energy but I don't have to do it in a way that is mean or mean-spirited. Um, I don't have to ask the question just to hurt somebody. And I've done that. I get pissy sometimes, and that's what happens. And then I'm, you know, really embarrassed. <laughs> and, and from what I know of you, you also often voice the thing that's happening inside you when you find that, the fear and or the or the confusion or the difficulty and in the context and break taboos in I, terms of your relations I, with I do. opposing counsel 
opposing clients and clients. Okay, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I do in the working group. Um, you know, we meet about once once a month in the working group, and I just bring whatever's happening. I bring it right into the working group. And um, I have had occasions where um, I discover that if I am, uh, I've got a case right now that I'm thinking of um, where um, we have a, the, the clients have a conflict. Okay, this is a family law context. The clients have a conflict. And then I did something that offended the other attorney. It was, in my view, kind of small, but it caused a huge offense. And then suddenly um, the attorneys are in great conflict. And we're pretending that the conflict is around what the clients are, but it isn't at all. And so I called that, and I first I apologized, but then I wrote her a letter, and I said, this conflict between us is causing me a lot of distress. I don't like it, and I would like for us to find a way to work with it. And I made a suggestion. My suggestion at that point, which has not been accepted, was that um, we buy, purchase an hour of time with a mental health person to sit down together and talk about it. How can we, how can we work with this? Um, but, um, and I know that was, I mean, I'm sure she was, probably fell out of her chair when she saw the letter. <laughs> but I really, I'm really serious about trying to figure out a way to, to work with this. Um, I was just saying to James, you know, having, having 10 years of a meditation practice means that for me anyway, my, emotional, um, uh, my emotions are kind of close to the surface and tears come kind of quickly for me. Not necessarily tears of sadness, but just when I moved. And I let them happen. And sometimes, you know, they recently happened in a settlement conference um, because I was moved by some the, the the exchange that was going on at the moment and i just let it be there i didn't you know draw attention to it but i i know that it didn't probably go unnoticed by other people so i i try to really be quite there um i don't know gary what else do you know that i should talk <laughs> <No>. about <laughs> <laughs> right uh other people thank you edith yeah um, mary you want to say something I, I want to um, uh, thank you so much. I, I just, you reminded me of, of one, so I want to say it cause, to encourage people to take that risk. Um, it, my mother had recently died, and I was uh, in a, uh, my client's deposition was getting taken. And there was some little harsh thing I don't even remember what it was but I just said I need a break and uh, when the, we were off the record I just told I told opposing counsel why I told him that I was feeling quite raw right then and the whole relationship shifted I mean not just right then but from then on and I think it was because I was willing to be a human being and, and trust him with that. Yeah. Uh, somebody, that, uh, yeah, back there, I hadn't talked yet. I'm Molly. Am I, is, can, okay, yeah, you can hear this. Um, and I'm a landlord tenant lawyer too for legal aid. It's kind of funny to have three in a room. Um, 
What, move closer? Okay, sorry. Um, I hate talking, like most lawyers, in big groups, so I apologize. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted, uh, talking about, I have a lot of trouble making people mad, including opposing counsel and including like the landlords I'm trying to fight against, which is kind of awkward in my profession. Um, and I've found a way to kind of reconcile causing someone else pain. Um, I talk through it with either the landlord if they're not represented or, or with the, the attorney, or I write through it. So I literally, I've done this with a couple of turn, a couple landlords who don't have representation and call me saying, what the hell's going on with this situation? Um, you know, your client hasn't paid rent and why are you defending such a lousy client? And, and I talk through it. Oh, I hear that you have payments to make and I hear that this is really rough for you. And let me tell you where my client's coming from. And, you know, he just went through his third round of chemo. And I, I know it's not your fault. And I hear that that's, you know, and I just kind of talk through the whole thing. And it's, it's worked more than once for me. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work and I get hung up on. Um, but it, it really helps me feel a little bit more resolved around, around maybe causing somebody else pain or harm um, by doing what I do, is, is just communicating. Here's your needs, and I hear that those are your needs, but here are my clients' needs. So it sounds like you actually open your heart to the other person as well as, as, as your own side, and you find that actually helps. Yes. Jonathan? I'm Jonathan. I wanted to um, open up another set of issues that came up in our group, we've been talking about these issues of integrity, values, how they come up with clients and with opposing counsel and with ourselves. But in our group, we sort of shifted to another set of issues that might be relevant to other people too, which is our relationship with the people in our family. And for in, in different ways for each of the people in my group, I think that perhaps the core issue was tension between obligations that we feel towards our children, our spouse, our partner, and desire to be with them, and the pull of our work in good and bad ways, sometimes even in wonderful ways. In, in my particular case, at this moment, there's some very exciting things happening for me professionally, but as those become more exciting, I'm going to be having to travel and be away from my two little children and my wife. I don't want to do that, but I want to do the work, so I'm very much caught in that at this moment, and it's just there. Um, and I just wanted to raise the issue because I think it, 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 it's present in another layer of relationships uh, for everyone in different ways. I, I think this is a big issue for almost everybody. I just want to be sure we don't uh, leave the other issue. I think there'll be time for both. Um, and we got about, I think, about 15 more minutes for this conversation. So, um, I, I, th I think I'd like to just see if, see if we can put this off now, and for people to stay with this dilemma that um, is there, particularly in terms of these landlord-tenant situations and things that you've found. If we can, uh, and, and you'll remind us later to come back to this. All right. Yes. I'm Sherry, and I think. Um, we talked about this a little bit in our group, too. I, I think there's just, for me, it's the idea of just being who I am. 
instead of being a lawyer necessarily, it's relating to the prosecutor. I'm a public defender also, and I relate to the prosecutor like they are a human being, and my client's a human being, and I'm less concerned about what I'm doing as a lawyer as, as than who, how am I being as a human? What kind of human being am I? And then I think that maybe what people are saying is when they just come to the table as who they are um, and bring whatever qualities they have as who they are, that maybe that does have an impact and it is a way to resolve or handle some of the conflict. So you make yourself quite visible as a person yeah. with, 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 the, with the other lawyer. Yes. And you find that's helpful. I do. Great. Yeah. I'm Rochelle, and um, I'm not a landlord-tenant lawyer. <laughs> but I was really struck by something that Edith said, um, and I really haven't had time to process it, but this idea that, and I think it goes partly with what Norman was saying about our responsibility as lawyers, it's part of the conversation about not having harm, and that's this dual conflict that I can get in between me and the lawyer having a conflict because perhaps the lawyer contacted my client without my permission, and that's a violation of professional contact, and it pisses me off, and blah, 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 blah. And do I say something? Do I not say something? Because does that impact my client? And I don't really have anything useful to say that's resolved, just to say that I struggle with that, with doing the best thing for my client all the time, and yet I am a lawyer and have my responsibilities within that profession. Um, so I just find that conflicting sometimes. And how do you relate to that struggle? <clears throat> well, one of the things I've done, I, uh, the first couple times, I don't know why it happens all the time for me. It just seems to be my thing. The first time I found out a lawyer did that, I got into a, a barroom brawl about it, and I decided that's not really the way I wanted it to go. So, and I'm a quick learner. So, um, so the next time um, I started with a question, I heard this, is that what happened? And then it softened it a little bit. And then this last time was more just, I noticed a communication. This was a lawyer in Australia. Not sure if you have this rule in Australia. We have this rule here. Please, you know, here's my contact information if you didn't have it. So I'm finding better ways for myself, I realized I need to do that. I need to do it for myself so that I don't feel crazy in the, in the negotiation. And I need to do it for my client because my client's not supposed to be contacted and they don't always know that. Um, but I've also found a way to do it, at least in this limited circumstance, that doesn't put them down. It gives them the benefit of the doubt. And it doesn't kick off a big fight between us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't control whether they're going to get upset or not. But I've been working with ways that I can do that and in a way that's humane. Mm-hmm. And sounds like with a real effort to be respectful of the other person, and not just assume that they're trying to do something right. awful to you. Right. Client. And I actually assume usually they're not trying to do something harmful because negotiations tend to move real fast. I tend to assume they're just trying to get stuff done. And sometimes I start with, I assume you're just trying to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And please include me in that. Mm-hmm. So, But right. I'd love to hear other people about their struggles with their own conflicts with the opposing counsel right. as well. Any other backbenchers who haven't had a chance to talk? Judge? <laughs> yeah, hi, I'm uh, Ron. I'm part of the, uh, the working group. And uh, I, I was a judge for 18 years, but before that I was, a, uh, I, I was a public defender and I did a variety of other things. And interestingly, just the pressure, I mean, I always felt the incredible pressure of the performance 
of being a lawyer and what was expected of me. And that was sort of the, the pressure became overwhelming and dominant in terms of how, how I was doing. And there was not a, a breath. Even though I was doing some meditation at the time, I really didn't feel like I was breathing between anything that was going on. And I found a great difference when I became a judge. Now, it's kind of, uh, it's interesting. I mean, not that there wasn't a lot of pressure, and there's a certain, the, the, the courtroom itself, there's a, um, a drama, and a lot of people, and there's just a, a whole thing that uh, happens. But also, I found that I could more create the kind of working environment, and I'm not saying, and I'm saying this in a way that I didn't think of it as a lawyer, but I was able to, Try. I mean, my feeling was, if I had to be in a criminal court all day with all the pressure, what could I do to not be under the kind of pressure that, uh, that kind of pressure and, and feel a little more relaxed and also a little bit more mindful of the decisions I was making, etc. So I would, you know, uh, and, and even though, interestingly, I had an active uh, meditation practice during that time, that's something I didn't show my hand about. I really didn't share that with people. I felt it was something that was, would not be understood. And, uh, and it's true. I mean, and especially judges, too. Judges, are, it's, it's a rough group. I mean, they're, uh, <laughs> they're, it's not a real sympathetic group. I would often find, and interestingly, after I left the bench, when I found this working group and started coming to gatherings like this with lawyers, it was sort of the first time I really felt comfortable in a legal group. And uh, because it was, we were like-minded, but not only that, we could actually say that and talk about the personal things that were going on. And this is incredibly helpful. But what I, I said the luxury of being a judge was that I would find myself feeling uncomfortable and a couple of lawyers would be coming in for a settlement conference screaming at each other. And I would say to them, hold, hold on. I, I got to be here all day, and I just don't like this kind of a... Will you guys go out again and just turn around... <laughs> And, and, and we're going to have a different conversation when you come back through the door the second time. And, uh, but as I say, that's a luxury. But again, but again, what can we all do? And we've, we've talked about this communication, which seems so improbable to say things to opposing counsel that you would expect them to have a strange reaction. And yet, on the other hand, they appreciate the fact that they're able to, their, human, their humanness and their, their ability to be considered in a different kind of way other than just a warrior or a, somebody who's very who who's evil or some 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 very unlikable character that i mean i think that's really interesting and i've heard other lawyers talk about this that that those entrees those times that people have said to uh other lawyers unexpected things most often the response has been a very positive one and people have been taken aback but yet relieved of having the opportunity to, uh, to, to, be, to set the environment in a different way. So. So, so for Ron, I know for you, as with me, one of the things that you and I both struggle with is this whole question of being whipsawed by this need to have others like us. And for me, that's been a real struggle. I know you've had that too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how much we're willing to kind of give things away because we want to be sure that we don't upset people, we don't want them not to like us, and that we feel that, that somehow having them like us is, can kind of take over. Mm-hmm. 
from what we're really trying to do. And I, I find that to be a very central struggle that I've had both as an advocate and also as a mediator and, and trying to kind of, and, it, and for me, it pushes me deeper inside to ask myself, you know, okay, it looks like there's going to be some situation here where there's going to, there's going to be a cost of my doing what really feels right to me in terms of somebody's not going to like me and I'm going to have to learn to live with that and not hate them because they don't like me and not anticipate their reaction, but actually to see if I can do that from some place in my heart rather than close them off to have to do that. Anyhow, that's been... No, I, I agree, and that's, uh, and that's, a, very, that's a real tough one because uh, I, I have always had trouble with conflict, and it's interesting because one chooses a field, as psychologists often choose field, uh, that field, because of their, where they are in their own lives and the things that need tweaking and help. And, and I think that uh, I have been on a kind of a quest since I've been about four years old when I didn't want to physically fight to try to figure out how one balances this idea of conflict and doesn't in a way where you are open to what's going on as opposed to, and I agree with Gary, I also don't want to rock the boat often and I want to be liked and I want to be rehired and you know those kinds of considerations that really when I walk out of a mediation I've done that I have that feeling like oh, I don't care what happened whether the case settled or it didn't settle I don't feel good because I was not I was not authentic mm-hmm. I was doing something else at the time Well, if that's what's happened. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Bar- Bar- Barbara here wants to remind me that it doesn't happen all the time. So right. I just, I just, just to make a point. But, uh, so uh, she knows more. She, having lived with a lawyer all these years, unfortunately, uh, and, and this is an interesting thing too, I think people often make relationships with lawyers uh, and, or other people in fields that they uh, share. And uh, uh, Barbara, as an artist, has been uh, refreshing to... Uh, to get a different perspective, because I will say, when we, especially when we first got married, and I would have, when, when all the various territorial struggles and things were going on, and I would have my, all my lawyerly-like uh, arguments. You know, I would give her... Jonathan, you're going to get your wish now. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would start, you know, with my, almost with my yellow pad in my head, kind of going one, two, three, four, as to why, this, why I was right in a situation and she was wrong. And she would just look at me and say, don't give me this legal bullshit, will you? <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, talk, talk like a human being. Talk like, you know, so, as I say, that's uh, the, one, one of my great guides uh, in terms of my life. So. Thanks. Any other people that have not had a chance to speak yet? I just want to be sure that we leave room for... Yes. So, hi, I'm Kristen. Um, As I've been hearing people talk, I've been thinking about something that's been going on in my own practice. I do patent law for a big, bad corporation. And um, several years ago, I cleared a structure. I said, okay, go ahead and make the structure. It doesn't infringe anybody else's patent. And uh, we got sued. Somebody said, you know, you do infringe our our patent. And uh, now we're in this litigation. And the day before I came... They offered us, the plaintiff offered us a settlement of $50 million. 
and this is on my call. You know, I made the choice that said we should go ahead with this, and so it's my, it was my decision, it was my responsibility. And I've been telling you know, my superiors and outside counsel, let's fight this one. If we're going to fight anything, we need to fight this one. And I wonder how much of that is I need to be right. You know, of course I think I am right because I'm a fine attorney. And, you know, of course my legal arguments are the best. But how much of what I'm doing is because I need to be right in this circumstance and how much, how am I really protecting the client? Am I really advocating for the client? Am I advocating for my position? What do I need to do to figure out what I'm doing and what is the right thing to do? And should the client really be taking a stand here or should we just pay up? And how do you work with that inside? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I, I know that I've been kind of mulling it over for the past few weeks as we've gone through this process. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I've come to a resolution, but. Mm-hmm. What's it like just to ask yourself the question? Wow, it's. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that maybe I'm wrong. I'm afraid that I'm going to cost my client a lot of money. And it's just, it's just nickels. I mean, it's, it's not like anybody's going to die. You know, no one's going to jail. You know, it's just pieces of paper and what, who, gets the, who gets the pieces of paper? You know, but still, it's, it's my client's pieces of paper. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, so what would be helpful to you to hear from other people? Would, there, would you like to hear anything from other people other than advice? <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that there have been other client, other people here who have had clients who have been in a similar situation where they've made the decision. You know, and I heard last night of other people who made decisions who, you know, there was somebody going to jail and, you know, making the right decision versus the wrong decision. And I'll, you know, I'll certainly love to hear people's input of how to know when something's the right decision versus the wrong decision. How they, how they work with that yeah. inside. Anybody willing to say how you work inside with yourself? Yes. That's probably not a decision I would make alone. This is, I'm Susan, and I do, you know, I work in technology too, IP. And um, that's, you know, you probably work in a collegial environment where there are other attorneys you can talk to and trust their judgment and share the decision with or even turn turn it over to somebody that may not be appropriate but having having people you work with this is one of the benefits of not being a sole sole practitioner i think is that you can go walk into their office and sit down and say you know i need a few minutes of your time and this is the situation what and what do you think that's just invaluable and i've done that a lot and for $50 million, I would do that. On <laughs> the other, um, you've noticed just nickels. So, so it sounds like you, you actually have people that you really trust yes. that will give you straight feedback and give you their opinions, and it won't have so much ego. Yeah, because it's hard to know when, when the ego is getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Your, yours like or theirs? That. Mine, mm-hmm. yeah, for me. And they'll give you that only kind of mine, feedback? Mine is the only one I'm concerned about. <laughs> right. and, and, and they'll give you that kind of feedback? Well, they'll give me their feedback on their professional judgment about the situation, about the, the, um, the infringement or the, the course of action at this point. If it's just if it was the wrong decision the first time, but still it's worth it to litigate, whatever it is. And then you take that in and work with that inside you? Yes. 
Um, but also, um, when, and this is in response to uh, what the judge said, and I've been in situations where, you know, people in technology really generally t treat each other really with respect and really pretty well. Um, the lawyers. Um, it's, it's a small community. And um, one time I was doing with a deal with a Schmata company in New York, and they had a... Uh, a, a you might have to translate Schmata for some reason. <laughs> Non-technology. It was a <laughs> um, well-known clothing and purse company. It's rag trade, yes. It's Yiddish. Um, and uh, this... This woman in, in New York was screaming at me on the phone. I couldn't believe it. My client was in my office and was shocked. And I said, you know, this isn't, I'm sorry, this, you know, this isn't really how we do business here. And um, let's talk again tomorrow. And my, I had my client talk to their business counterpart at that Schmata company. And, um, you know, they got some other way to negotiate the deal, not using that lawyer, because she, she, that was how she did lawyering. But that's not how I do lawyering. You know, we don't scream at each other. We treat each other respectfully. So. Thank you. So we just got a couple of minutes left. Judy hasn't had a chance to um, speak yet. To answer your $50 million question. <laughs> um, I do criminal defense, and I make a lot of what I think are actually life and death decisions because sometimes it's a question of making a deal or going to trial. And if you make the deal, of course, they don't get life or whatever they might get if they go to trial. And I, I agree, first of all, first thing you try to do is, you know, talk to other people that you know that have it. But ultimately, you have to have faith in yourself. You have to trust your, that's what they're paying you the big bucks for, you know. And you have to believe that, you know, if you make a decision with some advice, certainly, I, you know, it's not in a vacuum, that that's, that's the decision. And I think you have to accept that. Um, otherwise, you're going to be constantly second-guessing yourself and, you know, um, make yourself miserable. But I think if you acknowledge your own being and your own, you know, abilities, you know, you're making the best decision you can make, and that's, that's all they can ask you to do. So we've got time for one more Speaker Judy, you want to just say a little bit about how you work with these kinds of issues inside? Sure. Um, my name is Judy, and I'm a member of the working group. And I wanted to segue from what you and you guys were talking about back to this family question, if that's okay, um, because I think that um, for me, isn't it on? It's on. I'm not talking. Sorry. <laughs> um, this happens to me. I'm a real estate transactional lawyer. And um, every once in a while, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be sure that I've blown it. And there's a document out there which has some huge consequence to my client. And it could be that their business is a small business, but to them, it's their whole livelihood. Or it could be that it's a big, big business. It's not $50 million, but it's, it could be, it could be, it could be. And um, it's terrifying. It's, it's just terrifying to me. And um, having been doing this now for um, going into my third decade of about 22 years, um, I, don't, I don't know. 
what to do about that. But I notice all the time that I find myself in this right-wrong mind. Um, this, this hard, what I sometimes call this hard mind, where um, I'll have to read through a complicated document or write a complicated document, and I have to keep in mind what's going on in the first beginning of it to the middle of it to the end of it. It has to work together. It has to work perfectly together. If it isn't working perfectly together, then it's not working at all. And if I miss something, some small word, one word, then the whole thing is off. It could screw up the whole deal. My client could be in a lot of trouble, and therefore I could be in a lot of trouble because I could be wrong. And then I go home. And um, the way that I have dealt with having um, a law practice and having a family is to um, <laughs> is to basically do law whenever I can sneak it in. So really early in the morning before my family gets up and then late at night after they go to bed and then during a short work day in the middle of the day. But that frequently means that the minute I walk out of my office door, I put my phone in and I talk all the way until I get to the door. So the other day... Um, I did that, as usual, on this intense deal that this client is doing that has to be right. So I was in this mind, right? And I was thinking about the puzzle, and I had the document in my head, and it was all going okay, and I was driving, and it was all fine. And I walked in the door, and my 15-year-old daughter was in tears, and it was something important to her. And it wasn't on my list. It wasn't in the document. It wasn't going to work. And, and, you know, this is... This is this is my life. And it's just this constant, like, how do you get out of right-wrong mind? How do I get out of right-wrong mind and into, <laughs> okay, tell me about it, and how do we talk about this? And how often does your 15-year-old talk to you anyway? <laughs> so how did you? Um, how did I... I um, we went into a room where no one could find us in the house, and we talked. We got interrupted a couple of times, and I I had to, I mean, by other family members. Not I put the phone away, obviously, um, but I had to do a lot of breathing. I mean, I had to keep reminding myself to turn it off, and I hadn't had the time to turn it off. I hadn't had any space. There wasn't a moment of space between turning the key and finding her in tears. So it was really, really hard. Really hard. But, you know, a kid, they, you know, your kid can't wait. My kid couldn't wait. So it was really hard. I don't know how I did it exactly. We eventually got to some place where we were really talking, and it was a lot of me trying to just remind myself to drop down, drop down, you know, get out of my head. I'm afraid, though, that I gave her advice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> so, um, more to come. Uh, time for us to stop and um, move on, but we'll have a chance to have a fuller conversation. This is with this uh, and Jonathan's question, I think. Uh, obviously going to come up tonight. We'll have a chance to have more of a conversation about that. Thank you.